Welcome to CPAC's Today in Politics podcast. It is Tuesday, May 16th. I'm Michael Serapio. Here are the big political stories we are talking about today. Stellantis stops work on its electric vehicle battery plant in Windsor, Ontario, saying the federal government has not delivered what it had agreed to. When it comes to Stellantis, we are very supportive of this investment, and I am absolutely confident that we're going to get a deal. But I also want to point out that the resources of the federal government are not infinite, and we are counting on Ontario to do its fair share, and we're counting on Stellantis to be reasonable. With recent polls showing Liberals trailing Conservatives, how will Justin Trudeau convince Canadians to give his party a fourth mandate? What's been lost the last few years has been fiscal responsibility and where taxpayer money is going. I think there's a lot of great programs out there, but I want to know what that's going to cost me at the end of the day. And I want that information up front before I would vote. And what does Pierre Polyev need to do to make himself more attractive to Canadian voters? I see the right particularly uh, as going to too far towards what I see as the hard line right conservative under the United States. Joining us now is Susan Delacorte, columnist for the Toronto Star. Susan, good morning. Good morning, Michael. Okay, listen, so much to talk about this morning. Uh, let's begin with Stellantis, uh, because, you know, people may remember this battery plant in Windsor, Ontario, announced last year to much fanfare, uh, Stellantis, LG Energy Sources coming to the table. Of course, so did the federal and the Ontario provincial government. But work on that plan, as we said, has now come to a stop. Stellantis says Ottawa has not lived up to essentially its end of the bargain, $500 million. But how much of this is sour grapes after Volkswagen got over $13 billion, uh, really, for their battery plant? All of it. All of it is uh, sour grapes. It's. Uh, <laughs> I think that we're, we're understanding why the federal government was reluctant to say what it did to get Stellantis, uh, Volkswagen here for fear of exactly this happening. You know, other places uh, and other um, companies saying, well, if you give that to Volkswagen, why don't you give that to us? And that's exactly what's happened here. You're absolutely right to point out that this is a big deal. Uh, as we speak, the prime minister is arriving in Seoul, South Korea, to talk about critical mineral supply there. Um, and this focus on Canada not only um, producing the supply of critical min minerals, but the processing of them is huge. Uh, so you'll remember in, in natural resources, the other in, in oil, Canada has long complained that it is seen too much as just a hewer of, of the raw resources that ships mm -hmm. them off somewhere else. Mm -hmm. And Volkswagen and Stellantis were supposed to be an example of how Canada not only holds all these critical mineral supplies, but has the the wherewithal to process them too. I actually was in Windsor with, uh, it, you know how big a deal things are with uh, with governments when they go multiple times to announce things. Yeah. And in in January, the Prime Minister went down to Windsor. I went down with him, and we toured the Stellantis plant. He talked of this as this is a new golden age in in the auto business in Canada. So this is a big deal. And if this falters, uh, it's it's more bad news for the prime minister in a year that seems to be filled with bad news. That being said, 
Flavio Volpe, uh, who's uh, the head of the Canadian Auto Parts Manufacturing. I'm, I may have the title wrong there. Flavio Volpe. <laughs> I was watching him being interviewed yesterday, and he was saying, this is not unusual. All they're doing is negotiating in public. And what has to happen is the negotiation has to go back behind the scenes again, too, so that this can be settled. He sounded confident it would be. But certainly, given everything else the Prime Minister is juggling right now, this is and, and how many eggs they are putting in this basket of uh, battery manufacturing, it is it is a big deal. Yeah. And how much money do they actually have to put into that basket, uh, given that we had warnings, you know, before the budget from Christopher Freeland about, you know, the cupboard not necessarily being there, but not a lot of left in the cupboard. So quite the benchmark. But it's interesting to hear from the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, because this, they, they essentially say that Ottawa should reject what it calls corporate welfare response from Stellantis. But but I wonder how easily the Trudeau government can do that, you know, considering that there are thousands of jobs on the line in the Windsor area. The government was so enthused about selling both Stellantis and Volkswagen deals as being great news for Canadians. So really, can they do anything but cough up something, uh, some dollar figure to make Stellantis happy? Yeah, the Canadian Taxpayers Federation omits from its equation the idea that what's changed the game here is the United States and Biden's willingness to spend a lot of money to put plants like this in the United States. <clears throat> Stellantis knows this. Uh, Volkswagen certainly knew it. So, you know, I, I've heard the cabinet members, including Freeland saying, uh, Finance Minister Freeland, saying that uh, we can't just compete with the United States on money. But they do kind of have to compete with the United States on money. So um, I don't I don't think this is a zero sum game or a binary choice, as the Taxpayers Federation seems to imply, is the United States is suiting up big time for this. And if Canada wants to compete, this is a moment. And if Canada wants to compete, this is the moment to pick, unfortunately. Okay, so we'll watch where that one goes. Uh, but listen, I also want to talk about a couple of polls here. Uh, the first one coming from Nanos, uh, Nanos excuse me, over the weekend. And as you know, it showed that the Liberals are now trailing Conservatives by seven and a half points. Then there was that Abacus poll that came out yesterday that said on competency, competency, wow, really early in the morning, <laughs> on competency <laughs> and judgment, uh, Pierre Polyev outpolls Trudeau. So how worried should Liberals be by these numbers? They should be very worried, and all governments should be worried. Um, the The thing about both of these polls is there's a little bit of an apples and orange comparison because Trudeau is known after almost eight years in power. He is known. He's a known quantity. So Canadians' judgment on him is based on what they've seen and the, what they know. Uh, Polyev, as these polls also show, is largely unknown. Uh, we see a lot of him and we pay a lot of attention to him, but opposition leaders tend not to be in the daily lives of Canadians. So uh, Pierre Polyev right now is getting the benefit of the doubt, uh, which he won't always, but people are assuming things and writing things on to him that they wish Trudeau had. So I think I think that is that that's probably the the biggest takeaway from this. I thought the Abacus poll was particularly interesting because it went to not policies, which I think is is more stark difference between the two, 
and to values. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It depends on how Canadians are going to vote in the next election. Are they going to vote on values, which sometimes they do, but also their policies are starkly different as well, too. And we're going to we're going to get to see more of that the more. Mr. Polyev says about what the Conservatives intend to do, like, do they have a climate plan? Um, where do they stand on things like abortion, which is sort of a values question and a policy question, too. But I, I think we it's this is such a lame, journalistic, weaselly thing to say. I think it's too soon to do a fair comparison of Trudeau and Polyev um, because we don't know what ultimately people is going to make people vote. Yeah, absolutely. And and at this point, the, the supply and confidence agreement will keep the Liberals in power till 2025, unless really the, the Liberals decide to pull the trigger when you look at the amount of money that, that each party has to go into a campaign. But, you know, after that fiery speech at the Liberal convention, we know that Trudeau says that he will be the, the Liberal leader to, to take on Pierre Polyev. Uh, but is it then policy? Is that the front under which Trudeau will essentially try to convince Canadians that they deserve a fourth mandate? Because really, that's that's a rarity in, in Canadian history. Exactly. I sat in on a very fascinating um, election readiness workshop at that convention where Melanie Jolie and uh, Dan Arnold, who used to be the, you know, the, the head polling and research guy for the Liberals, sat there and laid out for liberals in quite blunt terms what the challenge was, including that they've been in power a long time. It looks like they're, you know, a little worn at the edges. And Melanie Jolie said flat out that uh, they were going to have to make this a stark choice, that this is a choice between basically Trump-style hard-right policies, which they think Canadians reject, and then the liberals, you know, the the safe, known middle of the road. Um, I I wrote about this in in a different way yesterday because the conservative, the, the most interesting race on that front is going to be in Manitoba, Portage, Lisker, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. where uh, Maxime Bernier, the leader of the People's Party, is running against uh, a, a relatively unknown fellow from uh, the conservatives named um, Brandon Leslie. And he put a... a his opening salvo was let's go uh close watchers conservatives and liberals are aware that let's go brandon is uh is a pseudonym in the united states for a swear word against joe biden uh it's too long a story to explain here but let's go brandon is uh is sort of a code speak on the american right for to whip up all those uh those forces that that Polyev, to some extent, and Maxime Bernier to a large extent, have been trying to tap into. So I, I would watch for the Liberals to be watching that race closely to see how much that, that the, the right is now divided in Canada between the people who would like to see more of a Trump-style populism and more of a middle-of-the-road, Aaron O'Toole kind of conservatism. I think it's, that's going to be a fascinating race. Well, you know, Rob Russo was saying yesterday that what happens in 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 Portage Lisgar will, in many ways, uh, mirror the debate of what conservatism looks like going into this uh, new century versus what it used to look like. But you know, exactly, very, yeah. But very quickly, you know, I, I think um, we we should talk a little bit more about Pierre Polyev because he, he, when you look at these polling numbers, Nick Nanos himself says that the drop in liberal support is not being driven by a bump in conservative numbers. So. 
uh, add that to Abacus, which said that 44% of respondents believe that uh, Mr. Poliev is too extreme. So what does that mean about the challenge for Pierre Poliev uh, still uh, in front of him as the conservative leader? And I'm going to ask this one very quickly because we are running out of time. Exactly what we were just talking about is that he's going to have to navigate that uh, that war with um, the People's Party of Canada very delicately, because if he tries to out People's Party, Maxime Bernier and out populist him, he may lose support uh, from the other side. So he is he's between two forces right now, as all conservative leaders have been. But it's particularly acute because of the, the threat of Maxime Bernier right now. Well, as I say, we keep watching. Uh, Susan, very nice to start out the morning with you. Uh, go get with you too. coffee. <laughs> I will. I will. <laughs> okay, well, we'll, we'll right. chat again soon. Take care. Okay. That Bye. is Susan Delacourt, columnist for the Toronto Star. Now, let's take a look at what political columnists, commentators, and editorialists are saying today. In the Hill Times, Michael Harris argues that political lying is a protected form of dishonesty that is dangerous for democracy. He writes, political lying has become something that is emphatically confused with free speech. It used to be that the public could get some measure of confidence in the system because no one could imagine bad people ending up with the top job. But public service and political power are no guarantees of honesty. Nor is it particularly comforting when it is argued that the place to stop a political liar is at the ballot box. Ideally, that is the way it should be, but the integrity of a vote is only as good as the information relied on to cast it. If a voter is misinformed, so too is his or her vote. And these days, between lying politicians and the social media echo chambers that often amplify their misinformation and disinformation, it is very difficult to know what is true and what is false. In the Globe and Mail, Alan Bernstein and Janice Stein argue Canada's science and tech ecosystem will define our success in the next century. They write, we live in an age defined by science and technology and the systems that will be built on advanced technologies will determine a country's power and influence, its economic prosperity, the quality of its society and its people's health and well-being. What Canada urgently needs is a coherent and integrated policy framework that articulates our goals, priorities, and the outcomes we expect from our investments in science and tech. If we are to be a credible voice in addressing the serious challenges that will define the next century, we need to be known for the excellence of our scientists, the sustained commitment of our governments, and our ingenuity in developing regulations that diminish risk while we reap the benefits of these powerful new technologies. Now here's what's coming up on today's political agenda. The Prime Minister will begin his first official visit to South Korea, while the Deputy Prime Minister, Christopher Freeland, will appear at the House of Commons Standing Committee for Finance to talk about Bill C-47, the Budget Implementation Act. In Detroit, Transport Minister Omar Al-Gabra will be joined by the U.S. Transportation Secretary, the Governor of Michigan and the Mayor of Detroit, to announce the first Canada and United States Alternative Fuel Corridor. The Justice Minister David Lametti, the Public Safety Minister Marco Mendicino, Intergovernmental Affairs Minister Dominic Leblanc, and Mental Health Minister Carolyn Bennett will make an announcement regarding bail reform. As for the NDP leader Jagmeet Singh, he will speak with reporters before taking part in question period. 
And the People's Party of Canada leader, Maxime Bernier, will appear at the Provincial Court of Manitoba to challenge his arrest in June of 2021, as well as other COVID-related fines. That is CPAC's Today in Politics for Tuesday, May 16th. Tune into Primetime Politics tonight on CPAC for coverage of all the day's events. You can watch Julie Van Dusen on Les Sale this week. And as for me, Michael Serapio, I'll be back with the podcast tomorrow morning. So until then, have a great day.